You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Please uh, find a Bible and open it to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, I can't force you to open a Bible, but I beg you to open a Bible only because it is God's book and because it changes lives and because apart from God's book, I'm out of a job, all right? And so we are fully dependent upon him, and I have no message apart from the word of God. So when you believe that God wrote a book, then you desire to open the only book that God has ever written, and then you believe it's actually going to start changing your life. So all that to say, I encourage you, it's not legalism, it's a heart of desire that I want to hear from the Lord and be changed by him. Second, by the way, if you need a Bible, it's in front of you in the chair in front of you, right? Or still your neighbors or whatever, okay? So yeah, just in front of you should be a Bible there. Open it, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Heart disease. Heart disease um, is the leading cause of death in both men and women in the United States. That is according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. In Canada... One person dies of heart disease every seven minutes. Heart disease costs our economy $21 billion a year. Right now, approximately 1.5 million Canadians are living with some form of heart disease. Why do we care about this so much? Well, it's obvious. Without the physical heart, there is no physical life. The moment a heart begins to fail is the moment when the physical life also begins to fail. But, however, as serious as heart disease is, and it is, what we learn today is that there is a still more form of heart failure that is spiritual. The thing about physical heart disease, it takes away your temporal life, but There's a spiritual heart disease that decides where you go for the rest of eternity. David's greatest strength in the Lord was his heart for the Lord. Here's what we learned today, though. Even the strongest hearts for God are subject to fail and subject to failure. It's in our text today. We we see and discover that over time, David's heart began to waver from the Lord's heart. In our text today, we discover that David was slowly being distracted away from a health and a pursuit of a heart of God. In our text today, we find out, which is undeniable, David was taking on signs of having spiritual heart disease, listen, that would change his life forever. So what we need to do today is we need to learn from David's failure today. So God has written a book. If we're wise, we understand God has given us a book to uh, point us in the path of life. This is why we have God's word. We are uh, holding God's word so we know where to go, what to do, and what not to do. And the reason that God has given us the life of David is for the same reason. We have the life of David to understand his successes, but to also understand his tremendous failures, as we're going to see today, that we might learn from the mistakes of others and the blessings of others and then move in the direction that God promises to bless. Today we understand just how serious spiritual heart failure is. Now here's the reality of the hearts in this room today. The reality of spiritual hearts in this room today is there's hearts all over the place. 
There are very strong hearts for the Lord right now. There are apathetic hearts for the Lord right now. There are hearts in mediocrity for the Lord right now. And there are hearts that are on the verge of disaster in the Lord right now in this place as well. Who are they? I have no idea. God knows perfectly. That's why the Lord is a supreme and perfect cardiologist. The Lord loves the heart so much. He's constantly going after it, and he cares so much if your heart and mind is on the verge of failure. Because if we lose our spiritual hearts, man, we lose basically everything. And so God constantly is working with surgery on our hearts through his word to call us back to himself. And again, this is why we have the word today. So we're going to begin and we're going to learn about spiritual failure today, spiritual heart failure today from the life of David. We're going to start in 2 Samuel, verse 1. I'm going to read the first five verses and Lord willing, we will get to the end of this chapter, but we'll start with the first five and we'll start to examine what is the process of when a heart begins to fail. Because David was a man after God's own heart, but in this text, he does start to see heart failure. Let's learn together verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been clean, or she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. Verse 5. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, um, I am pregnant. So from 2 Samuel chapter 11 today, we're going to see this. We're going to see four stages of spiritual heart failure. We're going to track with David's heart what was the progression of when his heart began to fail. Now, not all of us, obviously, will see ourselves in the same predicament David was in, but all of us will relate in some way to the different stages that we're going to see before us today. This message is absolutely for everyone that is here who has a heart and has a spiritual heart, which is every one. So what is the first stage of David's decline in his heart beginning to fail? Stage one is this. Stage number one is this. It begins with disobedience. The first stage of a spiritual heart failing is this. It begins with disobedience. Now look at verse one. Notice right away in verse one it says, In the spring of the year, the times when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Now what's the problem with that verse? Well, the problem is, who's the king again? Oh yeah, David's the king. So at the time of year when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. So David didn't go. Joab goes to battle. Faithful Joab, one of the leader of the army for, for David's people, for God's people. And the servants of David go as well. But look at the end of verse 1, just so the Bible's clear with us, making sure we don't miss this. It says, but David remained at Jerusalem. The time when kings go out to war, David didn't. Now, at this point of David's life, we need to know this. David has never been more successful. David is strong. David is king. David has tremendous wealth and favor and credibility. He is surrounded in comfort and luxury, and he has overwhelming power. David is swimming in success. 
Do you know what's so interesting about abundant wealth, power, favor, and comfort? These are all ingredients. If the heart is not careful, these are all ingredients in the recipe of disaster. If the heart is not abundantly vigilant and careful, the heart will succumb to the environment it finds itself in. Loved ones, this is a word for us today. This is our society. This is North America. This is the country we live in, obsessed with comfort, obsessed with ease, obsessed with luxury, obsessed with making it fully about ourselves. David, surrounded by comfort, the comfort and luxury of his life, slowly began to distract his heart away from the Lord. The text today in 2 Samuel didn't happen in just a day. It was a progression over time of David going from passionately pursuing God to slowly drifting in an alternative direction. Furthermore, the comfort of David's life distracted his heart, which led to lust, and the lust began to slowly erode his heart and love for his God to the point that he could no longer see God, and all he saw was a sin, and he ruined his life because of it. We learn from this right now. Comfort is not the answer. Ease is not the answer. Do you know what we could easily argue from David's life? The time, the best time of David's life as it related to his heart, when his heart was strongest for the Lord, when he wrote the most powerful psalms, when he had so much fruit for God, the strongest part for David's heart in his life was the time in his life he was running for his life from Saul. You could easily argue that. The strongest spiritual time in David's life when he was running for his life, trying not to get killed by Saul. Why? He was so utterly dependent upon the Lord. And when you're so utterly dependent upon the Lord, when life is often the toughest, that's when often the most fruit is seen. Can you, can you and I recognize the blessing and power of trials that come upon us? that make us so dependent upon the Lord, but in our flesh, we just want ease and comfort and the luxury. And watch out, man, we get super comfort, we get super dull, we become complacent, apathy sets in, and all of a sudden we are distracted away from the pursuit of God. And so David, in this arena of self-indulgence and just self-complacency, he was starting to move towards disobedience. Now, if you look at verse 2, Verse 2, it says, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Now, look at verse 2. Can you see the contributing factors to David's disobedience? Okay? So look at verse 2. I'm asking you to study God's word right now. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Okay? In verse 2, can you see the contributing factor to David's disobedience in this one verse? So as I studying verse 2 this week, I wrote down three words that I want to share with you. They'll be on the screen beside me and behind me, okay? Three contributing factors to David's disobedience. The first word I wrote down from verse 2 was this, neglect. The neglect of David's heart, the neglect within David's life, led him towards disobedience. David's duty was to be at war. But David had neglected his duty. He passed on his responsibility. 
God had given David a role. David put that role aside temporarily. He neglected it. Loved ones, we must understand this. We fight off. We must fight off neglect in our lives because when we find ourselves in neglect, neglect inevitably will become the neglect of the heart as well. Understand this too. God has given us responsibility as a duty and as a protection of our own hearts. Responsibility is good as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a student, as a friend, as an employee. Responsibility. We are made to be responsible human beings. Again, work is created by God. It's good. We're created to work hard. When we shun responsibility, we are in a danger zone of pursuing disobedience in our own lives, which in turn affects our hearts. David had neglected his role and opened himself up to be susceptible to the pattern of sin and disobedience. And so in his neglect, then, he wasn't at war. So what he was doing, second word is this, idleness. David found himself in idleness, and that's never going to be a good thing. He should have been at war, but instead, verse 2 tells us, he's at home. And specifically, notice the Bible includes this, he's on the couch. David's a couch potato. Right? He's, he's, he's shunned his responsibility, and so he's lying. I mean, a lot of us relate to this, right? He's lying on the couch, and then notice he gets up, and he wants to walk on the roof, right? You can just picture it. There's David. should be out with his men fighting the battles, but he sleeps in ruling like this. And What should I do? I don't know. Nothing on the agenda. Might as well just go for a walk. It's like 1030 in the morning. Had my cup of tea. Nothing to do. Might as well look around. Hey, what's that? Idleness. Isn't it so true, the saying that says this? The devil finds work for idle hands. Yes, he does. See, David is essentially bored. And because of his neglect, it leads to idleness, which then makes him so susceptible to temptation. Do you know how many people fall into the trap of idleness in their lives? Do you know how many, right now in our, in our society, how many young men destroy their lives in idleness? I mean, all of us can be susceptible to this, but particularly there's a generation of young men where they have nothing to do, so they sit around and they play video games and surf the internet for hours and hours and hours a day. Eight hours a day, some of them are doing this, sitting around, accomplishing nothing of spiritual value, of any eternal fruitfulness whatsoever. At the end of the time, where do they find themselves? In the middle of idleness, and it's just a matter of time before you start to turn your heart toward the things of the world and find yourself in a trap of sin and frustration and misery and pain, and you get to the end, and there's nothing of any good surrounding you. It's the trap of idleness. Killing people. Deadly. No motivation. Don't want to work hard. Just lazy, lazy, lazy. And all the while, their heart is going down the spiritual tubes. Because when we're neglectful, and when we have idleness, well, then naturally, this is going to happen. Temptation. And here's David, man, neglect, idleness, and this leads to his temptation, which, listen, devastates his life. Jesus told us to pray, lead us not into temptation. David is actually leading himself towards temptation because it starts with neglect and idleness, and now he's in a place he's not thinking right, he has nothing else to do, so he's trying to fill the time by entertaining his flesh. Watch out, man, watch out. One of the great blessings of pursuing the Lord with your heart and serving him and stuff is sometimes you find yourself, you don't have time to sin. 
I mean, hear me. You're just so busy loving him that you find your heart just wants to go to him. But David was not in this place. So look at verse 3 now. In verse 3 it says, And David sent... So, and by the way, when the Bible talks about um, a woman being beautiful or a man being handsome, the Bible doesn't have to use exaggeration. So for the Bible to say that Bathsheba was beautiful, that's one thing. When the Bible says she's very beautiful, just take God's word for it, okay? She was, she was very attractive. Verse 3, And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said... Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, okay, so watch this in verse 3. David has looked with lust. Now David wants to act on the lust, but notice what God does. He sends a messenger of conviction. In verse 3, there's some, a servant, the servant here, the courage of the servant. I'm just so, I just love, like this servant, you know, speaking to the king. And it's almost like he sees what's happening. He probably does see what's happening. And David wants Bathsheba, and he says, wait, wait, wait. King, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, most importantly, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? In other words, David, isn't she married? That's David's chance to be filled with conviction to find his way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, okay? No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, just a, a side note on this. A lot of people take this verse to mean, God will never give me anything I can't handle. Okay, wait, wait, wait. That's my entire life. I can't handle it, all right? I, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Notice, it's about temptation. The text is talking about temptation. God will never tempt us beyond what we're not able to endure. But notice, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. When David says, get me that woman, and the servant's like, but wait, well, wait, she's married to Uriah. That was David's chance, by God's grace, to take the escape route, be filled with conviction, and not sin and ruin his life. My advice to you is, man, to me, it's like, when we're about to sin in ways we know we shouldn't, some of us, were about to say something that is filled with bitterness and venom towards someone else, and someone comes into the conversation, and they say something that kind of shuts us down, there's an opportunity right there to escape your sin. Some of us were about to fulfill sensual sin in some way and act out, which is horrible in God's sight. And the phone rings, the person walks, whatever it might be. Something, something happens, and it, it, it's your way of escape. Take it, take it, take it. God in his grace is providing a way to escape the sin. But the scary part is, is when we see the escape hatch, and we're like, don't want it because I want to sin. And this is David. This is where his heart started falling apart because if you look at verse 4, it says, so David sent messengers and took her. Hmm, guess he didn't listen to that guy, huh? Yeah, she's married, so what? David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. This confirms the seriousness of David's heart disease. Again, love us. remember, this didn't happen just in a day. David's weakness in his life was his sensual pursuit of women. He had um, gathered many wives. He had many concubines over the years. And that was not good with the Lord. And so over time, David began to try to fulfill. He always thought, well, the next one will do it. And the next one will do it. But you find out you can't fulfill your lust through multiple experiences. You'll just continue to want more. And so David was here. And he found himself in this place. And his heart was going in such a bad place, that he said, forget the conviction, I want to fulfill my desires. This was David's weakness. Question for all of us here today, do you know your weakness? What is your greatest weakness when it comes to the temptation 
in certain areas of sin. Do you know your weakness? Because Satan does. And he will wait, as it says about Jesus, when Jesus is tempted in the desert, Satan left him. And it says, and Satan waited for an opportune time to test Jesus again. And that's what Satan doing in our lives. He waits for an opportunity. Do you know your weakness? And what are you doing? What are we doing about our weakness? David failed miserably in his heart in this way. His heart was failing. But listen, let's not let Bathsheba get off the hook though, okay? Now tell me, if you live in a place that is in view of the palace of the king, do you not think you know it? Like if you live in proximity to a line of sight from where the king lives, do you not think you would be aware of where your house is located in proximity to the king's house? The answer is yes. So do you randomly go outside and bathe naked? Is that just a random decision that you do? Would you know the king is not at war but at home? I'd say 100% yes. Bathsheba knew what she was doing. And what does that tell us about Bathsheba? It tells us in some ways that her heart was also failing. And her role in contributing to David's temptation and providing a way and a form for David to sin and act upon his lust. David responsible, 100%. Bathsheba contributing. Let's have a word just for women in our church right now. In our society, where sensual lust is crazy, it's just incredibly insane. Let's make sure that this place, our church, let's make sure that the virtue of modesty, especially among our women, is held up with the excellence it deserves before the Lord Jesus Christ. If there are women attending this church where your desire in your heart is to draw attention to yourself by how you look and to take the attention away from men's eyes, other places, towards you. If that's your intention, that's a, str- that's a strong sign you are suffering from heart failure. If you are dressing a certain way to get attention so it builds yourself up and you feel better about yourself, you don't understand the ways of the Lord in terms of purity and the blessing of loving Him and, and, and dressing appropriately. Beauty is not a sin, but causing others to sin is and that's why the Bible says that we would not be a stumbling block to other people. You know, I love though, I, I can say like, with great confidence, like for the vast majority, like this church, I love the sense of modesty in this church. And I just love the way that men and women care for themselves appropriately as we gather here and may, and may continue to be that because if we can't have that in here, man, where can we have it? So Bathsheba put herself in a situation that contributed to the sin of another and explains to us a little bit about where her heart was at as well. So the first stage of heart failure is that it begins with disobedience for both David and Bathsheba. But unfortunately, if the heart is not checked, if if the heart is not confessing sin, then this heart failure gets worse, leads us to stage number two. Here's stage number two. It worsens with deception. Spiritual heart failure, if not checked, will worsen with deception. So the doctrine of sin tells us, okay, listen, listen, sin unchecked breeds more sin. Do you know that? Sin like spreads seeds. It's like a weed. It continues to find its way and to spread more and more weeds in the garden. It's relentless. Unless sin is checked, it will continue to multiply itself. Look at verse 6 now. 
So David finds out that Bathsheba's pregnant, so what, he, what does he do? He gets a plan to cover his sin. Awful. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Job was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. So in my margin, my Bible, beside verse 7, I wrote, awkward conversation. So here's David, before Uriah, Uriah comes in, hey Uriah, what's up? Good. So man, uh, how are the people doing? Good. Uh, how are you doing? Good. Uh, how's the war going? Good. Can I go now? You know? And if David was true to his heart, he's like, well, I'm just kind of, you know, the small talk right here because the truth is I got your wife pregnant and now I want you to come back. So I want you to, to labor with her so it looks like it's your son and so I can cover my sin and so I can get away with this and allow my heart to continue go down the sewer. Because look what happens now in verse 8. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. So David's buttering him up now. Verse 9, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and he did not go down to his house. When they told David, it didn't work, David. David said, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Look what, look what Uriah says. In the midst of David's total lack of integrity, look at the integrity of Uriah. Verse 11. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live, king, and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Okay, okay. does David have any conscience right now? right? David's living in the palace in self-indulgence and luxury, sleeping with women that don't belong to him. And Uriah says, as you live, I could never do such a thing even to go down to my rightful wife when the ark is in the booth and the, and the servants of God are sleeping in the field at war. Just wonder what David felt in that. And is, was there a twinge of conviction? Then verse 12. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and next. Now here's David's next plan. So conviction is not happening. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. In the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of, the Lord, of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. So here we see the consequences of David's sin starting to take place. And instead of owning, okay, right here, right here, if David, when he gets caught, when David knows Bathsheba's pregnant, this is his chance to own his sin and end the misery. To own it, deal with it, repent, confess, take, take, take his licking, but then recover and start to see righteousness in his life again and, and see his heart restored. He has that option right here. God is leading him to this, but instead he does the worst thing he can do. He denies the conviction and he attempts to cover up his sin, leading to increased failure of his heart. There are some in this room right now, you are listening to this message, and you are in this place of sin. And the Lord is warning you right now, and the Lord is saying, if you continue to cover up your sin, if you continue to try to manipulate and lie and deceive, it's only going to get worse, and destruction awaits you in terms of the reality of your sin. It's just, I'm telling you, there's some people here right now, and this is your chance by God's love and God's grace to cease what you're doing 
and to stop it, and it's going to hurt a bit, and you've got to confess and repent, but own it, own it, and then see what God does from there. But the attempt to say, no, I'm not going to own it, I'm going to keep lying, I'm going to live with deception, you are inviting then a tremendous season of pain and misery to continue just as David did. So David's plan is not working. Uriah has too much integrity. Notice this. Notice a drunk Uriah holds a healthier heart than a sober David. A drunk Uriah has a healthier heart than a sober David. That is the devastation of heart failure. What's happening to David? This is, this is, listen carefully and learn. When someone no longer cares for God's glory, but is consumed with self-glory, that heart will not and cannot receive rebuke or correction. I'll say it again. When a heart no longer cares for God's glory and is instead filled with self-glory, they are unable to receive correction or rebuke in the Lord. David here is more concerned with his reputation than his repentance. That is a sign of massive heart failure. Do you know how many leaders have gone down because of that truth right there? So many leaders have bitten the dust because at the end of the day, they care so much of what people think, more so than their own repentance before the Lord. Just pausing to let you think. How does that relate to me? How does that apply to me? Loved ones, be so careful that we're not growing in a heart of deception. Deception will kill our affection and our hearts for the Lord. I want you to see this, the, the dangers of a heart of deception. Okay, learn this. Number one is this. Here's the greatest danger. Heart. heart of deception is the very character of Satan. In John chapter 8, Jesus is referring to Satan. It says, out of his character, out of the character of Satan, he's the father of lies. So when we are living lives of deception, when we deceive, when we tell lies, when we're double-minded, when we live two lies, when we're not being honest with people around us. Remember, that is obviously not the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is the character of Satan, okay? It's the character of Satan. The second danger of deception is this. It's the deception of ourselves. So when we're deceiving others, the thing that we often fail to see is we're actually deceiving ourselves because we think somehow we're gonna win. If I lie to you, if I live a double life, if I do something else, then I feel like I'm winning. But the Bible tells us, 2 Timothy chapter three, evil people, they are deceiving and being deceived. So the person who's trying to deceive others, they are actually deceiving themselves and somehow thinking this is gonna work out well. It will never, ever work out well. Another danger of a heart of deception is this. It hinders our fellowship with God. Ephesians 4 talks about, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, that we may not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. A life of deception, a heart of deception, is one that is hindering fellowship. We're breaking God's power from our lives. It leads us to the fourth danger, which is this. It removes spiritual life and power from the Lord. Be very, very careful with the heart of deception. Are there lies in your life right now? These portions of our lives completely fabricated? Are we lying to our spouses? Are we living a hidden life? Are we pretending to be someone we're not? All of this are forms of deception which will greatly hurt our hearts and hinder our relationship with the Lord. 
So this is why David of all people in Psalm 24, this is what David says when he's in a much better place than 2 Samuel 11. David says this, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Who will know the presence of God? Who will know the favor of God? Who will know the blessing of God? Who will know the joy of God? Here's the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart knows the presence of God, knows the favor of God. And notice this, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. Deception, who does not live deceitfully then, just to clarify, and who does not swear deceitfully. The person who is not living a life of deception, the person who does not live in falsehood, that is the person who dwells in the presence of the Lord. This is the person that knows the joy and the favor and the power of God. A clean hands and a pure heart. David is saying this. A tremendous sign of spiritual heart failure is that when we are living a life of deception, it worsens the state of our heart, our deception. Oh God, help us to see this even now, to repent of this and turn elsewhere to you, Lord. Spiritual heart failure begins with disobedience. It worsens with deception. Stage number three now, which is incredibly serious, is this. It results in destruction. If the heart is not stopped, it does not turn around and repent and run towards Christ, it will result in destruction in some form, in some way. So verse 14, okay? So David's plan isn't working, so now he goes to the extreme. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Really, David? This is what it's come to? And as Job was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there was valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah also died. Then Joab sent and told David the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, if the king gets angry, verse 20, and says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know they would shoot from the wall? So any good army commander would not put his best people or any people near the wall because they'd be killed by the archers and whatnot. But then in verse 21, he explains, who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerobesheth, and did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall? So he died at Thebes. Why did you go so near to the wall? Then you shall say, and listen, say this. He says, your servant, Uriah, the Hittite, is dead also. Because Joab knows the only thing David really wants to know is that statement right there because the only thing he cares about is the solution and covering for his own sin. Even if it means that people's lives are destroyed in the process. David's in a bad place, man. Notice that David is basically taking off the disobedience to the, to the Ten Commandments one by one. He's breaking the Ten Commandments one by one. Remember this about sin too. Sin will always go as far as, as far as it is allowed to go. Sin stops at nothing. Sin is insatiable. Sin is never satisfied. The destination of sin, if allowed, is the pit of hell itself. And in the case of David, remember this, remember? Remember, this is such a good learning moment right here. The sin started out as a look of lust. He was in idleness, he was bored, he was lazy. He was neglectful, and he looked down at a naked woman. It started out as that. 
And now it has led to the murder of multiple individuals. You say, what do you mean multiple individuals? Well, if you see in verse 17, it says that some of the servants, David, fell as well. They died. as The servants of David could refer to his own bodyguard, some of his best men and soldiers. So not only did Uriah die, but some of David's best soldiers, so faithful to him, they also died in the process of covering up his sin. Notice also how far David's heart has gone. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab, sent it by the hand of Uriah. Now what was in the letter? The letter was the instructions of how to murder Uriah. And he sends Uriah back and says, wait, I have a letter for you. Can you take it for me? Sure, sir. Uriah is carrying his own death sentence in his hand and doesn't know it. How evil is that? This is David, a man after God's own heart. His heart is suffering from massive spiritual heart failure. It began, I want you to see the trend. It began with disobedience. Then it goes to deception and now people are being destroyed. This is wisdom time for us right now. This is all of us here right now is to understand whether or not we're in the same exact situation as David. This applies in so many different areas. Do not treat sin lightly. Understand how seriously God views sin as well. What starts so small, if it is not checked, if it is not confessed, if it is not repented of, you give it enough time and it will grow and grow and grow to the point we do something disastrous and lives will be ruined. Ours and others around us guaranteed. It's a warning today from the Lord. Be wise, be wise. You know the fallout from David's life? The fallout from this one sin is the following. An unwanted pregnancy, a murder of a trusted friend, not to mention others, a dead baby, uh, his daughter was raped by his son, one son murders another son, a civil war breaks out against David by one of his sons, and then another son, Solomon, imitating his father David, is susceptible and falls to the lust of women, involves himself with many foreign women, and leads the nation of Israel away from God at the peak of their success, and then it all plummets from there. That all stems from this one chapter in God's word. Now, was David forgiven? 100%. 100% he was forgiven. You cannot exhaust the grace of God. You cannot extend God's love to the point it cannot be received. But listen, he will be forgiven. I want you to hear that. So again, that God's love is so abundantly available to every single person here who wants it and who desires to repent of sin, but there would be consequences from David's actions for the rest of his life. So here's wisdom right now, okay? Here's the wisdom. Wisdom says, so David, was it worth it? was that one moment, as far as we know, it was a one-time act with Bathsheba, was this one moment of fulfilling self-pleasure worth the destruction of all that would come? Any sane person would say it was not worth it at all. It was a disaster. Here's the wisdom of the moment. When you and I are tempted to sin in ways that were promised the, the fulfillment of the moment, just understand it will lead to a lifetime of regret. It's wisdom. See, what Satan does, Satan never tips his hand, right? What Satan does, he just says, it's going to feel good, man. 
This is what you want. You deserve this. This is about you in this moment. No one's going to get hurt. Don't worry about it. No one's going to know. It's just going to be great. No, no, go sin, sin. You are entitled to this form of, of, of indulgence and, and, and sensuality, whatever it might be. Do it, do it. Satan never tells you the fallout from the sin. He never says, well, if you do this, then you're going to hurt this person, this person. You're going to hinder your relationship with God. You're going to suffer from guilt and misery. It's going to cause pain. If you do this, you'll ruin your children's lives. If you do this as well, then you won't be able to minister anymore for the gospel. He never tells you that part. Of course he doesn't, because then you may not actually do it. But see, wisdom says, no, 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 no. I recognize it's a moment of pleasure, but I recognize it's a lifetime of regret in some form, in some way. And therefore, it's not worth it. That's a powerful phrase to rehearse to yourself in the moments of temptation and to run for your life straight to the throne of grace. It's not worth it. I've said that to myself many, many times. The more you are prepared now to see the reality of the sin, the more you see what it really is when you get to that moment and the door is before you, you can look at it by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and not even open the door. You can look at it and you know it's evil, you know what it's going to result in, and you say, I am not doing that for the love of God, for the glory of God, and for the love of my own life and my family. I am turning away and walking in a different direction. If you start playing with fire and you walk up and start opening the door a little bit, I was going to take a peek and walk in, it's just a matter of sucked right in, gone. Wisdom. Wisdom. You know the end result, so don't be so dumb. Help us, Lord. Help us. Because the deception will lead to destruction. No wonder Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. My favorite verse is in Proverbs. Why? Because it's everything. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Protect it. Watch it. Know what's happening with it. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life question who in this room right now is on the verge of some grievous sin there's some man for sure there's some in this room right now you are playing with fire you are here today because god loves you so much that god says don't do it he loves you so much he wants to pull you back from this decision of disaster receive it as god's love next question who here right now is in the midst of grievous sin right now your life is engaged in something disastrous, and you know it. And God says to you today too, he says, it's not too late to know my love. It's not too late to be showered with forgiveness. He says, my child, you must return to me. You must repent of your sin. He doesn't force you to do it. You must run to him and spare yourself further destruction. This is what we learn from David's life. Stage one is disobedience. Stage two is deception. Stage three is destruction. And then the fourth and final stage in this chapter is this. Spiritual heart failure will inevitably guarantee discipline. It will guarantee the discipline of the Lord. So verse 22, the messenger comes and tells David, you know what David does? He basically hears about people dying and hears about Uriah being dead. And then his response is, he gives a phrase in military. He's like, well, in war, some people die, some people live, whatever. He's like, don't worry about it. You tell Joab, just keep going, attack the people and win. Like that, that's where David's heart's at. He's like, yeah, you know, easy come, easy go. People die, people live. 
And he says that, but then notice at the very end in verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. wonder how long that lasted. I mean, we don't really know. But verse 27, it says, when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. So it could have been that long. Notice the final sentence in chapter 11, probably the most important. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So, one of the greatest lies of sin is this. The greatest lies of sin, and what Satan says, is this. The Lord doesn't see. Go ahead, sin. God's not watching. The whole time David is maneuvering, conniving, lying, murdering, he forgets because he's so blinded right now. He forgets the Lord sees all. There's nothing the Lord does not see. Proverbs 15, verse 3. Listen carefully. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. That right there, that truth, that principle of truth, should be the single greatest deterrent from you and I sinning. When we find ourselves in that dark corner, in that room by ourselves that we think we're all alone, The understanding of proper theology knows as we're about to gauge in some kind of sin, we are about to sin in the presence of Almighty and Holy God. There is nowhere He is not. He sees every single thing. But this is what our heart deceives us and Satan tempts us. No, no, no. He doesn't see. He doesn't see. He sees everything. Everything. That should be the greatest deterrent in the fear of God against sinning in this way. Just some further verses to build on this. Proverbs 13 says, Good sense wins favor, wisdom, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. Number says this, Be sure your sin will find you out. And then finally, Hebrews 12 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. See, because the Lord loves David so much, he would cause David, shortly thereafter, this episode in his life, to undergo the greatest season of discipline he would ever endure. David would be confronted by God directly through Nathan. Lord willing, that's next week. We wrap up the series in the life of David. And it's through the confrontation of Nathan, David would be crushed to pieces. David finally would give up the blame game and the deception and the destruction And David would be absolutely decimated under the Spirit of God. From this period of his life would come two of the most powerful psalms ever written, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. David would be totally and completely crushed in his sin. Why? Because David truly belonged to the Lord. Now listen and learn. Because David truly belonged to the Lord, the Lord would not allow the heart failure to continue. God loved David too much to see it go on and on and on. So God's love, God's love would crush David into pieces. Because only when the heart is crushed of self can the heart be truly revived and restored back to God. You and I must believe in the power of repentance and brokenness. 
because that is when the heart can be used and put back together. That's why in Psalm 51, the psalm written following the sin with Bathsheba, in verse 17, David says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The sacrifices of God is brokenness. It's a decimated heart before the Lord, begging for mercy and pleading for grace and confessing sin. That is the heart that God will not despise. Can we see, are we wise enough to see the love of God as it comes upon our lives to crush us, to discipline us, to break us, that he might have us. Can we see God's love in that form as God allows us to be destroyed, to love us, to save us from ourselves? As long as we have unconfessed sin in our lives, we will find out that we will be suffering from pain and misery in various forms. So one of the Psalms written after David and Bathsheba's sin was Psalm 32. And I'll put it on the screen for you, but I want to read a couple of verses here from my Bible. Psalm 32, just think of the context we have all around us now. Think about in verse 3. In verse 3 it says, David says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Silent is um, when I did not repent. For when I did not repent of my sin to God, listen, my bones wasted away. All of us should know something about, some of us are in that right now. We're wasting away. We're hollowed out from the inside because we have sin that is all around us. Notice, through my groaning all day long, unconfessed sin results in pain and misery. You're groaning. You just, there's like, there's, there's no peace. Verse four, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. David couldn't escape it. God was pressing down upon him day after day, week after week, month after month. He wouldn't let David go because he loves him. And David, there's conscience constantly being pricked. Some of us are there right now. God is after us because he loves us. He won't let us go. He doesn't give us peace. His hand's heavy upon us. We're losing sleep at night. It's because of his love upon us. And notice, and here's the example David gives, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now we should relate to that example right now, right? Right now, in this season we've been in, this summer, one of the hottest ever. And you go outside and the heat and the humidity and you're out there long enough, it just saps your strength. And you feel so depleted and exhausted. It's perfect. That's what sin does. Drains us of all strength zaps us of vitality. This is where David found himself in this very place. But then notice verse 5. Here's the turning point for David. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. So for all the games of covering up his sin and deception, finally, I did not cover it. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Here it is. Here's the gospel. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And that begins the process of David being restored back to right fellowship with his God. I was thinking this week, you know, we've been through this drought this summer. 
And uh, if you know me at all or know me a little bit, you will know I look at grass a lot. And um, I don't know why, I just kind of look at grass. And um, you notice the grass in these last several weeks. It's just been so dry. It's been like straw-like. It's been hay. It's just been dead. It just looks awful. Feels awful. Looks awful. You know, part of your heart's kind of grieving over that, you know, because it could be so much more. But there's been no rain. But then this past week, all of a sudden, the clouds open up a little bit and, and the rain comes down. And then another period of rain and a thunderstorm rolls through and all of a sudden the earth is being drenched with some real moisture. And I was amazed. You go through weeks and weeks and weeks of drought where everything looks so dead. You get a couple of episodes of rain and the whole earth seems to come back to life like that. To the point I had to cut my grass yesterday and sweating my face off, right? <laughs> but you're kind of happy about it because things look green again. I was amazed at how quickly the earth responds to the grace of rain. There are some hearts in spiritual drought here right now. How quickly our hearts will respond to the spiritual grace of the reign of God as it falls down upon us in forgiveness and love and he restores our hearts to himself. That is the opportunity here today. But listen, you won't find the grace of God if you don't want it. It requires repentance. You have to know your need. David did not experience this until he confessed and repented before the Lord. And this is why David said in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Listen, there's only one person who can give you a clean heart. It's not some talk show host. It's not some guru who wrote some book. It's not some philosophy of this world. The only person that can truly give you a clean heart is the living God, his son Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Creating me a clean heart, oh God. I want my life to count in the fruitfulness of you. You're a believer here today. You've wandered. Return. Return. Some of you have some serious business to do today. You need to confess sin to someone, to the Lord and to someone else. If you're serious about this, you will deal with it because you know God loves you too much to let you go. Maybe you're here today and you've never truly been alive, you've never received life in Jesus Christ, I invite you to the life of all lives. Forgiveness of your sin, because Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life, died for your sins, and rose from the dead, defeating death. And Jesus now offers you eternal life. Whoever believes in me, they will receive eternal life. They will drink the living waters. They will never be thirsty again. Are you here today and you've never received Jesus Christ? All the sin we're talking about, it can be dealt with in one act of faith, in the gift of forgiveness that is only found in Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to save you. Oh, Lord, I pray, much as ever, this church will be a repenting church, but a church that is filled and saturated by the reign of the grace of our God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, my bold request to you, every single heart here is impacted in some way. Every single heart. I pray, Lord, you would move with supernatural clarity. I pray that you would grant supernatural conviction. I pray, Lord, you will also pour out supernatural grace. There is no one here who is too far to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
there is no one here who has sinned too much to be showered by the grace and kindness and love of God. But again, child, you must want Him. And you must love Him. And you must desire to be cleansed. 